I'm your host, Jeff Gluck, and I'm here in my car with Matt Weaver. We're sitting in the parking lot at Martinsville Speedway. Matt, how are you? Oh, it's Martinsville Speedway, NASCAR racing at my favorite short track. I'm Dandy. And we're about to drive home. So literally, I'm starting my car right now. There you go. Car is started. Gentlemen, start your engines. Okay, we have a two-hour, for me, it's two-hour, 20-minute drive back to my apartment and um matt uh well i i dropped matt off at the concord mills mall so we've been carpooling and so that's where his truck is so i guess it's probably about uh hour and 50 or something like that we're gonna stop at sheets on the way of course matt you love sheets right oh sheets is the best if you guys ever come to martinsville there's a location right across the street basically great food good this is, by the way this is not an ad this is not an ad. Like this, just Matt just loves sheets. No, I've I've got like hard eyes for for sheets. Okay, I don't know what that is, but anyway, uh, speaking of eyes, our eyes are somewhat blinded at the moment because we're driving past the lighted Martinsville Speedway. How good does that look from up here? Damn, that's cool. You like that? It's pretty, but man, it's kind of like when Wrigley Field, you know, for baseball fans, first installed lights in 1988 or whenever it was, and it's it's so surreal because we've both been coming here, you longer than I, uh, to Martinsville, and, and you're so used to leaving the track at night under the under the cloak of twilight, and it was just so weird to leave the media center, and it was just daytime, basically. Uh, I'm not really going to complain about that. I like it. I think it looks pretty cool. Wow, kind of like badass, honestly, as we're looking back at it. I want a night race. You don't want a night race. Why not? Why do you want a night race, Matt? Come on. No, I never said I didn't want a night race. Oh. My 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 question was, is like the only way you could get a night race is if basically if Martinsville lost a date. <laughs> because right now you've got races in March, April, and then October, and it's just way too cold for both of those races. So NASCAR would either have to wrangle the schedule to allow a race later on in the schedule kind of like what happened with bristol a couple of years ago but don't forget that the track also has a late model race which is a really big event in its own right and that's now in september so just trying to schedule out all of their events is already a hassle as it is so i would love to see a scheduled nighttime cup race i just don't know where you could fit that in the schedule so matt uh, i'm i'm making the microphone duck below right now because we just drove past, past some cops who are directing traffic and I have a microphone so they probably would think that's weird so okay it's back back to my we're on the road we did it we got out of the track uh, okay we're making progress so Matt let's talk about today's race we can talk about night races all we want in the future on the ride home but let's talk about the race at hand that we just saw um, personally I thought it was the best race of the year so far in NASCAR I thought it was one of the better Martinsville races, um, at least in the last couple years, because honestly, last the last year's Martinsville races weren't that great, if I remember. I don't think they were anything that stuck out. And then the uh, you did have the famous Logano Kenseth one. That was probably the last crazy Martinsville one. So, but last last year's Martinsville races 
only 13 combined cautions. I didn't think they were spectacular. Today you had 14. And I'm not saying that it's all about cautions, but at Martinsville, that certainly has something to do with it. What did you think of the race? I thought the race was awesome. And I, I think that there are a lot of reasons that we can go into. Um, first and foremost, Goodyear. Let's give them a lot of credit. Goodyear brought maybe the best tire they've brought to a cup race in a long time. That tire did everything it was intended to do. There was there was fall off. There was strategy. The, the tire laid down rubber and created a second groove. And I think all those things came together. Uh, there was lap traffic, and that continually dictated a role in, in the battles for the lead. And there was stage racing. So you put all that together, and I think that it was just a perfect formula for a good race. You know, it's weird. So I went to take my quiet track picture after the race, and I walked out um, in turn two. And like the rubber, I, I was on the periscope and I tried to pull up some rubber to show people that, you know, chunks of rubber had come off. But it was like literally stuck to the track. And I had to yank hard to get this one rubber piece off. And then I, afterwards, I was like stepping on the rubber and stuff um, with my foot to just see how tacky or sticky it was. And it was really sticky. I mean, it was that, that rubber, whatever the compound was, I mean, you can see why it would make another groove because I don't know what that VHT stuff felt like when they put that down at Bristol, like how sticky exactly that was before the race and everything. But this was like you step in it and you had to take some effort to take your shoe up. And if, if tires are going over that, you can see how that would obviously that's grip. That is literally grip. Yeah. I think the best way to draw a comparison for the average fan is if you're a soda drinker and you spill some on your floor and you have to step away for like 20 minutes because the phone rang or whatever and then you come back to clean it up and you step on it we've all done that before and your foot sticks to the floor Wait, we've all done that before i haven't done that before well you're not a big soda drinker but i think you know most of the average american consumers drink their fair share of coca-cola and we've all stepped in it before or maybe you leave it on the floor no, what had happened one time was, and I don't even know like what I'm drawing this from, but I, I just remember being little, <laughs> and maybe I was just a kid and I made a mess and just okay. left it because I'm a kid. But yeah, I've stepped in like old abandoned soda on a kitchen floor, and, and your foot sticks to the floor. What kind of living conditions? My God, clean up after yourself, Matt. I had a little sister four years younger than I, and I practically took care of her a little bit whenever my mom and dad were at work, and so that was a bit of a zoo. It was a bit of an adventure. Okay, well, anyway, please continue with your point. I'll just pretend to agree that, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, I've, I've spilled soda before, left it, and then stepped on it. Sure, I know exactly what you're talking about. I know that feeling. <laughs> well, uh, I'm distracted a moment because we're passing we're passing sheets. The first sheets. And, and, again, Jeff doesn't know what heart eyes are, but there's the emoji with the heart eyes. Oh, I thought you said hard eyes no. before. I thought I was just getting uncomfortable. I was like, hard eyes? <laughs> no, no, no. Heart, heart eyes. I get heart eyes. I, I just couldn't understand your accent or something. Yeah, that's, that's the extra Alabama coming out. But uh, Usually we all stop at the sheets, all the writers. We sit outside. They have tables at the sheets. We have umbrellas uh, you know you sit under you eat you know you want everybody to order sheets burritos for whatever reason which thing is ridiculous just get a sandwich sheets not known for burritos matt listen i told you this during the fall during our our semi-annual sheets up as i like to call it i believe that sheets burritos are on par to chipotle and you thought oh my I god oh my god i can't i can't let this air 
I'm going to have to, that's so bad. I'm going to have to edit it out. But anyway, I do feel a little bit bad driving past that sheets because it's like one of the rare media get togethers that we all have. And I don't know what everybody this year was splitting up. There's a lot of people still working at the track. Other people had left. So I don't know. It's kind of disappointing, right? Yeah, I, I think this race started later uh, with the with the lights. NASCAR was able to try to get this race started a little bit later to try to accommodate Western time zones and create some synergy from the West Coast swing. And I think they kind of broke up some of our habits, you know, when we get to the track, when we leave the track. So it's unfortunate that I couldn't, you know, convince everyone for a second straight year to try that burrito that you're going to have to edit out now. Okay, so we established that sticky soda uh, feeling of the tires create a second groove. Kyle Busch figured out how to use that pretty well. And speaking of Kyle Busch, yet another race where he could have won. Um, you think of, I mean, there's several this year where he had he had a chance. You know, he started off the year and he had bad luck. And then it's he's like had some decent races here, and all of a sudden, no, you know, it's like. He's, he's he's just not doesn't have the luck as he put it i don't really know if it's luck but the circumstances aren't allowing him to win races he's clearly getting increasingly frustrated um is kyle bush i mean he hasn't won since the brickyard last year is he when's he gonna win matt see i think that we're probably overstating this just a little bit because it's kyle bush and when kyle bush is aggravated you know, he's going to let us know that he's aggravated. Yes, the drought is a little bit longer than we're used to seeing out of him. He mentioned during the press conference that it was important for him to try to win this race because he doesn't win during the chase. Um, but I think they're fine. I mean, they've been competitive. It's not like they look lost. It's really hard to win these races. And right now, the NASCAR rule book has created so much parity. There's so much evenness amongst the field that you know you make one misstep you have one you know bad set of tires or or in Kyle's case a set of tires that just did not gel with his current setup you know you lose the race I, I think he's going to be in victory lane very quickly within a month I truly believe that and I think there is no cause for concern not only for Kyle Busch but everyone at Joe Gibbs Racing who is a little off where they were in recent years but they're okay Matt, does it make you nervous that I'm driving on a twisty road um, off 220 here and using one hand and the other uh, on the microphone? Does that make you nervous? Well, would you like to hear another embarrassing Matt story? Oh, God, I don't know. Should we? All right, go for it. I can always edit this out, too. I've done much worse in my formative years as a, as a driver after first getting my license. Um, I had this handheld video game, a, a PSP, as a, as a teenager. And oh I was God. driving back from work. I, I lived on a country road when I was younger. It was a little dirt road. There's no one on this road. But I was playing this racing game on my PSP while driving a real truck. And what... Kids, don't try this at home, please. Never. So the thing that happened that, that talked me out of doing this ever again was I turned left... I was supposed to turn left on the video game, but instead I turned left in my truck, and that was nearly a really bad ordeal. How close did you come to wrecking? I caught myself, but I played it over and over in my head. I'm like, well, that could have turned out really bad. So You think? I was 19. This was 10, 10 years ago. That's really, that's not like, it's not like you were 16 or something. You should have more wisdom than that. Anyway, let's just get back to talking about the race instead of your 
Sheets burritos are better than Chipotle, and I play video games while I drive. Silliness. Okay, so I want your take on the end of stage two incident, and then I want to see how wrong you are with your take. So what, what, you know, was Stenhouse justified, first of all, in what he did? Well, this is tough because if you go back to the truck series race the day before, I was very much... Um, against the camp that said Cindric uh, should have you know, battled to, to stay on the lead lap. I said you have to kind of respect the leaders. But the difference is, is that was late in the race, where this was kind of early on in the race. And to me, when, when you still have so much racing left to go, and because of, of track position or lap traffic in front of you, all the different circumstances that played out, Stenhouse was pretty equal to Kyle in those circumstances and that could be your race you don't know what's going to happen you know um, you want to be on the lead lap of these races because it helps you with your pitch strategy it helps you uh, where your place in, in the field so to me if, if the 18 gave him an opening then, then you take it but forget Ricky's side of it for a minute I look at it from Kyle's perspective was putting the 17 car a lap down in the first two-thirds of the race so important that it's worth risking getting caught up in a, in a crash, getting your tire cut, having the, the fender damage be a lot worse than it actually was. And I'm not sure it is. I mean, that's where, you know, the spotter and crew chief has to call in and be like, look, even if you lose this point to chase, it's not worth it. You know, we need the car in one piece. Let me stop you there, though, because Kyle's side of it, he insisted that he was going to let Ricky get his lap back at the line. He said he was giving him a lane. He, that's why he was going high. He was going to let Ricky kind of go side by side with him, and he was going to let him get his lap back at the line to not push that issue. And he feels like then Ricky just ran him over. That's his side of it. Well, there's no way for Kyle to properly illustrate, I'm going to let you pass. And if, if Kyle's argument was is he, he ran the high line, he started running the high line 30 laps into the race. So there's no way for Ricky to know, I'm no longer fighting you because you're running the high line. You've been running the high line. At that point, they've already been in this battle. And, and maybe Kyle was ready to give up the ghost, but Ricky doesn't know that. Ricky is still in the heat of the moment where he's thinking, I've got to fight tooth and nail to stay on the lead lap by the time the stage ends. And there's no way to properly illustrate that, that Kyle's going to give that to him. So, you know, I don't fault him. He, he's a racer. He's racing. That's a good point. I didn't really think of that. I mean, how is he supposed to communicate that he's giving him that lane um, if he had been going high the whole race? It would be one thing if he had been staying low in theory, right? But if he's doing the same thing he had been doing, um, maybe Stenhouse can't really tell that. And from Stenhouse's perspective, it's, I talked to him after the race. It sounded like, you know, he wanted to nudge him, bump him out of the way. He didn't obviously plan for Kyle to lose the stage because of that. I don't think he had the awareness that Chase Elliott was going to win the stage there. But that shows you, though, on the other hand, how close Chase was coming. I mean, Kyle had to go in some aspects. I mean, he had a four-second lead or something at, at one point, but then Chase was gaining ground as Kyle was getting bogged down in that traffic, and within you know the last three or four laps there, Chase was getting close. So I think Kyle sort of had to had to try to do something just to get around them in some aspects. It wasn't all about putting putting the 17 car a lap down, you know. 
Yeah, and, and sometimes I feel like we're all guilty as fans, as as journalists, as pundits, of, of treating these race cars like they're point and click. And when you're in the heat of the moment and you're driving in really deep in a corner, it's not like Ricky intended to drive into the corner and then float up and intentionally root the 18 out of the way to allow the 24 then to pass them both. I mean, to him, he's just he's battling. And when you're when you're battling, you start to drive in deeper and deeper because you're just trying to make it stick and you're trying to make it work out. And sometimes when you drive in the corner like that, you're going to you're not going to have the grip you need to make that corner. You're, you're just naturally going to float up the corner. And so to me, that's just a racing deal. Look, it's one playoff point. Could that make the difference for, for Kyle missing or, or making the championship for? Sure. But the easiest thing for Kyle to do moving forward is just go win races. Yeah, I suppose. But, I mean, we know how these eliminations um, in the playoffs come down to tiebreakers and one or two points. So that one point could definitely make a difference, in my opinion, um, this fall, especially when it comes to moving on to the final round. Obviously, there's a lot, uh, you know, hundreds of points available in those rounds. But um, I don't know. I, I think it's, uh, well, I guess not hundreds, but over 100, you know, if you maxed out whatever uh, on your point total for each race. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah, let me just add, is, is is there any sort of reason that we're placing some sort of priority on on Kyle Busch because he's a championship contender every year over Ricky Stenhouse? Because Ricky Stenhouse is trying to run his race, too. He's trying to maintain all that stuff that I said earlier about staying on the lead lap and being able to get himself on the right tire strategy and pit strategy. I mean, he's got to place his own priority in himself and not Kyle, too, right? Well, I no, I disagree with that to some extent. I don't think it's just because it's like, oh, Kyle's going to be a championship contender, so you know this point could matter for him. I also think it's, oh, he was the leader of the race at that point, trying to win a stage for whatever that's worth, and a lapped car doesn't bump the leader out of the way for something. In my, I mean, you that's that's very rare that you see that. If if there's ever a, a contact between a lapped car and the leader it's usually a complete accident which results in the leader calling the lap car a total idiot blah 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 but because of the stages now this new wrinkle stenhouse said he knew you know if, there, if there's no stage break coming he can't do that but because the stage break's coming he knows there's a caution he's got to take a last shot at it and you know it's a very unusual circumstance really but i think it's it's sort of uh you just don't see the leader get roughed up like that no you're right and i think one thing I'm playing devil's advocate. I think one thing that'll be interesting to head into next week and, and talk to other drivers about is we're, we're entering uncharted territory. What are the ethics for end-of-stage courtesy? We've already, we've already established what the end-of-race courtesies are, and we talked about it during that truck race, too, with Austin Sendrick and, and Noah Graxon and Christopher Bell and, and all the other leaders who are, who are racing him. Um, but we really haven't established what the code of conduct is for a lap car or a car at the tail end of the lead lap as the leaders are approaching him on lap 140 or lap 70 or whatever it falls on during a given race. And I'm very curious moving forward starting next weekend at Texas to figure out what that line is from inside the garage. Well, let's be honest, though. At a, at a race like Texas, you're, you know, this a situation like this is, very rare this is sort of one of these things where at short tracks it's more 
possible because they're running closer together. But at the end of a stage at Texas, uh, you would think they would be all too spread out for that to happen in theory. But would you agree with me that this was another win for stage racing advocates uh, like myself? Oh, I'm a total stage advocate myself, too. And I, I feel like that this has added an added layer of intensity and aggression out of these drivers. And look, NASCAR has heard a large subset of the fan base talk about how they felt like the middle stages of the race became procedural. And look, a 500-lap race at Martinsville, even though it's a short track and there's constant action, you hear crew chiefs tell the drivers all the time, spotters tell drivers all the time, take care of the car, um, be patient. And they do drive like that, and it sometimes can be procedural. But there is no doubt in my mind whether it's been this weekend at Martinsville, a couple of weekends ago at Atlanta where I saw some really interesting stuff go on, that stage racing has added that extra layer of intensity to the middle stages of races because you see that drivers want these these stage points and they want the playoff points for being the leader at the time of the caution too. And I am gung-ho for it, and I have been since day one. Let's talk about Brad Kozlowski, he won the race. He has two wins this year now, Matt. Um, do you see him as any sort of a favorite or a, a top contender over other drivers, or is it just sort of um, circumstantial? I mean, his wins have come on two very different tracks, and there's a lot of other guys who are still good. How do you see it? Personally, I'm not going to say all of a sudden, well, he has two wins, so you know, I'm going to put him above... Uh, you know, Truex and even Harvick, although he hasn't run as well at times. But, you know, even people like that, I'm not going to declare him the the guy. See, that's fascinating to me because I just wrote a column, haven't published it yet at the time we're doing this, but by the time you guys hear this, it'll be up on Auto Week, about me declaring early on Keselowski the clear favorite. And let me tell you why. Outside of Daytona, which is kind of fluky in nature, he has posted top fives in every single race, and he's been in the mix. If you look at loop data, the, the Penske cars have been at the top of nearly every, every speed category, and they by far and away have the most speed, in my opinion, of any other team. Team Penske does. Brad was the first driver to two wins. Um, and he could probably have three. He could arguably have three. could have more. Again, top fives in every race but Daytona. Well, but I was thinking of Vegas when he ran on the last lap. He lost the power or whatever. Right, right. So, to me, you've got all three, uh, I count the Wood Brothers, all three Penske cars inside the top ten of the championship points. More importantly, Brad is now leading the all-important playoff point category. Remember, that carries all the way through up until heading into Homestead. That's how you get to Homestead. So to me, Brad is the true championship leader in my eyes, and he has pretty much set the tone for, or rather set the bar of where drivers need to be moving forward. What about Larson? You can really sit there and say that Kozlowski is a championship contender above Larson, who had four straight top two finishes before today? I think they are very close, but we've placed this priority on winning, and winning matters most of all, and more importantly, Brad has the pedigree, and Joey does too. They have been championship contenders pretty much every year since NASCAR moved to this elimination format. I am very much sold on Ganassi 
right now. But the only reason why I would give the, the, the lead, give the edge to Brad, is there's the pedigree. He's already won two races this year, so it's two to one. And this is still very much a winning matters more than consistency environment. So I just want to see more wins come out of Kyle like I have Brad the past couple of years. That's fair. It's very fair. All right. Well, let's find another area of disagreement, Matt, because uh, I think we're going to disagree on this. I think uh, you were defending Matt McCall, Jamie McMurray's crew chief, on Twitter where I thought that was a really bad decision um, for them. And I'm not necessarily picking on them, but just in, in general, I feel like crew chiefs need like some sort of an intervention. They, a car will hit the wall at times and or a car will have contact with another car. The tire is, has a huge tire rub, and crew chiefs half the time or more they're like, oh, stay out. It'll either resolve itself or we'll catch a caution or something. I'm like, what are you doing? Then they wreck. Why? Dude, just pit. Uh, but you feel differently, so why? No, I don't feel differently. But I wanted to put it out there. You were defending Matt McCall. No, and I would defend any crew chief because I feel like I understand sometimes what goes into their line of thinking because I, I enjoy probably talking to crew chiefs more than I do drivers in my line of work because I come from a, a family of mechanics and I just enjoy the strategy element. And so I find myself talking to those guys more than I do drivers, to be honest with you. And I understand the sort of things that go into their decisions. And I don't agree personally with that decision because at Martinsville, you already still have two more cautions built in that you know about. And you know there's going to be a heck of a lot more because it's Martinsville. So, so you're going to get wave arounds and you're going to get possible lucky dogs. Yeah. So my point was that I'm not in favor of making that call because it looked really bad. But if, if I'm just playing devil's advocate again, I understand what Matt was thinking. Because if you pit from where they were at there, you're, you're losing three for sure. And that's probably all that it's going to be is three, maybe four, depending on how that sort of situation plays itself out. And without knowing for sure how many cautions you're going to have, which sounds crazy at Martinsville, but we've seen races that play out green too. You just don't want to throw away that track position. You don't want to get yourself behind the eight ball. You're on a different strategy now. It just makes things a heck of a lot harder. But again, to your point, and probably the right point, that is a huge gamble when you have your quarter panel dragging on that tire and you know it's not going to last if you're honest with yourself for another 20 laps or however much longer you had to go in the segment i don't agree with what matt decided to do in that case but i understand what he was thinking and you know we've seen some circumstances play out to where the tire eats away at the the quarter panel the fender and it goes away Again, this uh, risky gamble. I wouldn't have made it. I just I understand what Matt was thinking from talking to Matt in in the past and a lot of other crew chiefs as well because it's just a huge risk to put your driver that far back, especially if for whatever reason you haven't been running competitively the past couple of years and maybe you're not totally convinced of what you have. I think there was a little bit of a different call than maybe one that. Uh, Todd Gordon would have made with, with Joey Logano like later in that race where they know they've got an elite car. They've been in an elite car at Martinsville for years. So maybe it's not as big of a gamble for them as it is the, the one Ganassi team. Yeah, but okay, you're talking about, well, you know, you want to make sure that you, you try to keep your track position. Well, what track position did they end up having after they crashed into the wall and destroyed their car? I mean, to me, 
crew chiefs are always taking gambles and they're weighing strategy risks, whether it's fuel mileage or, or the tire wear or, or whatever the situation is. Um, they're always trying to think of what's better in a certain situation. So how could smart crew chiefs, and I'm, again, not talking about just McCall, but I've seen this over and over again, I feel like, you know, mile and a half track, somebody scrapes the wall. Oh, stay out. <laughs> you know, the tires don't heal themselves. They don't like they're not like some living thing where it, it comes back to life and it's all good. I mean, yeah, with, with Kyle Busch's tire rub today, you could see where it was minor and it was minor sl- smoke and that could sort of resolve itself. And they also pulled the fender away after they pitted. Um, and even though it was still there, it, it, it ends up going away. But like when it's something major like that, um, I, it's just not going to end well. It's just really not. So I just don't see how that could be justified as a strategy type decision honestly yeah make no mistake i I don't disagree with you at all but i I would point out one thing and i'll i'll drop drop it here on my side is that i feel like we remember every single time that it turns out poorly and that kind of shapes that decision making process for us and we don't remember all the times where there was a tire rub and it does go away i don't know how many that number is it could be worse if, if you do let it sit there and ride out, you just, you don't know. But we, we remember what happened to, to Jamie today, and it's like, well, of course you shouldn't have done that because it sticks out in our mind. Well, Matt, uh, looks like we're coming up on a little bit of traffic here. Um, what do you think is going on here? We had our 15th caution of the day, it looks like. Well, this is Martinsville, so you're going to get a little bottled up. We're behind a, a Featherlight uh, semi here. I think you should give them the bumper a little bit. No. <laughs> Uh, you know, I respect my equipment and, uh, I'm, I'm not going to do that to the guys back at the shop. So I'm going to try to keep it clean here. Although, oh, now we're in a red flag. We are red flagged on the highway. This is unexpected. I didn't think, I didn't calculate this into our whole strategy either. No. And unfortunately now we have lights. So the red flag isn't going to, to, to carry us too deep into the night. We, we have proper racing conditions here in the greater Piedmont, Virginia, North Carolina region. Well, as long as we're under a red flag, let's uh, let's switch topics here. Um, let's talk about people who ran a lot faster than we are right now today. Um, I'll, I'm going to give some shout-outs. I want to start with uh, JTG Doherty Racing. Um, ends up finishing six for A.J. Allmendinger. Great run all day. Uh, he was up and down a little bit, but, I mean, he was really up there at times. And Chris Buescher was pretty consistent, uh, especially toward the end of the race. He finishes 11th. Uh, maybe some light at the end of the tunnel for uh, AJ and, and the rest of the team. Yeah, they, they've built a pretty good pedigree here. Last year they finished inside the top five, if I recall. Yeah, AJ was uh, second last year. Yeah, Randy Burnett was able to put together a really good package, and they feel really good heading towards Martinsville. But really... They needed this run, both cars, especially AJ. You know, AJ got off to the fast start at Daytona, but then the penalty happened at Atlanta, and it really set them behind the eight ball. They're, uh, if not outside the top 30, they're right there on the top 30. And this is a team that is going to be relying on championship points to make the playoffs this year. And, you know, we can talk about the two road courses and that, that being a, a, an opportunity to, to capitalize but they need more of these runs on, on short tracks, on the intermediates. And if nothing else, this is a feel-good moment for them, just to head back towards Texas and feel like they've got some momentum. 
another feel good moment. So I was um, going down to talk to Ricky Stenhouse Jr. because he was in the mix with a lot of stuff today. And also I was kind of wondering if Kyle Busch was going to come down there and punch him. But <laughs> I had my phone ready just in case. But that didn't happen. But so Stenhouse gets out of his car and he stands on top of his uh, window and he puts the, the arms up like he's in victory lane. Um, a 10th place finish for him was feeling that good. And uh, he did make the point, though, that he they have run pretty decent overall. They haven't gotten the finishes, but they have been better. Um, so, you know, that was that was another good run for him today when it looked pretty bad at times. Yeah, I feel like Roush Fenway has probably been better than the numbers indicate, both cars. I think dropping from three cars to two this year, just focusing on the, the six and the 17 has played some dividends. Um, you know, Trevor has actually pulled out the better results of the two, but I think that Ricky has probably had the better pace. And I think that's probably left him frustrated because he knows he probably should have a couple of top tens out of that, and he doesn't. And to finally close in on that, knowing how, how decent they've been, in many ways felt like a win because it was like this this moment to him where he's like, I can close out, we can close out, this is where the season really starts, we can do this kind of thing. i got to interrupt you because, so what's happening now is the, it's going down from two lanes to one lane. People, I'm being the, the good citizen, okay, I'm in the correct lane. People are trying to pass us on the right and then cut over, but I'm being a jerk in return, and I am speeding up to the car uh, in front of me so that they can't get over because they weren't doing a very good thing. I don't appreciate their uh, their move here to try to get in. Here comes another guy. Here comes another guy. I'm not letting him in. No, 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 no. I'm not letting you in. Don't even try it. Oh, my God, you jerk. Is, is he going to get in? Oh, this is so not cool, dude. I'm so upset about this. Um, anyway, what's your philosophy? How would you handle the situation if you were driving? Oh, I am totally the same way. I, I don't try to play... You know, traffic police. I'm not the, the the driving ethics committee, but to me, you've got a mile that you see that this situation is starting to materialize. You've got a mile to get over, like everyone else did, and you're going to try to take advantage of everyone who did what they were supposed to do, what the law had asked you to do, and you're going to try to skip everyone, even though no one's even moving at all. That that yeah. that's that's totally classless. It's rude. And you know what? We need Kyle Bush here to come over and punch these guys in the jaw. Well, this looks actually kind of bad. Um, looks like the road is closed. The highway's closed. Yeah? Or what's going on here? I mean, we're being routed off the road, so um, not good. This is sort of like we're being sent to pit lane or something. I mean, this is we're not, not on the track anymore. Um, not what we had in mind. Um, yeah, I'm sort of distracted here, but we're following. Up ahead is the Monster Energy Haulers, and... Uh, I guess we're going the right way towards back towards Charlotte if if they're on the same path we are. But I would like to get back on the highway here, Matt. Yeah, this is kind of like when there was a crash on the front stretch somewhere. And we had the red flag earlier. The red flag was lifted, but there's still some debris on the front stretch. So they're just kind of... They got to bring everybody down pit road. Right, right. So this is pit road and uh, we're now moving again. We're moving pretty well. Well, these comparisons are probably getting annoying to everybody, so let's go back to the race again. Uh, what's another shout-out of somebody you thought ran well today, aside from Stenhouse and the JTG cars, who doesn't usually um, run that well? So, 
This is probably kind of obscure, but I've been watching this guy's season all year. Wait a minute. Can I guess who you're going to say and see if I'm right? Yeah. Cole Witt. Corey LaJoy. Oh, my God. Oh, get get out of here. Get out of the car right now. You are not about to praise Corey LaJoy. Are you serious right now? I truly believe, based on watching Corey LaJoy race my entire adult life, that he is actually a really talented guy, and that car just isn't there. And look, all the problems that have happened this year have been of his doing. I am a total Corey LaJoy homer in the fact that I believe in this guy's talent and his personality and his drive, but he's used to driving very competitive cars. He has been his entire life, going back to his late model days when he was a RPM, a Richard Petty development driver. He's used to driving competitive cars and being allowed to push them. And because of his his attitude, let's be honest, that that Corey's got a bit of an attitude, he hasn't been able to sell himself um, the way that he probably should have to be a star at the Cup Series level. But he's got this opportunity here. You know, everyone knows the story that Jimmy Johnson made the phone call to make sure that he was the guy. And for Daytona. Yeah, for Daytona. And it's been able to expand out. Um, Corey is trying really hard to get every single thing out of this car. And there's been a lot of people that's told him, you know what, recognize what the situation is, what this car is, with all due respect to BK Racing, but we know what that car is. And the best way that you can impress everyone is to just take what the car gives you and don't try to, to finish 25th with a 35th place car. And I think we saw that today. There was no Corey LaJoy moment. And he had that moment. There was some talking to to Corey. And I believe this guy is so talented. And if he can just be reminded of what this car is and to drive accordingly, I think that a lot of fans will lay off. Because, look, I know Corey, and he's just trying really hard to make this work. And there's only so much this car can give you. But up until today, I mean, okay, I, I understand my question was, you know, who did a good job today? But, you know, you were prefacing it by saying his season overall and stuff. I mean, I just, uh, he's been the cause of a caution almost every week. I mean, really. Yeah, and that's kind of been on kind of a, a thorn in my side, too, because he's become a, a kind of a, a punching bag. A, almost a JWT type situation. Totally. And I think anyone who's watched the entire career of Corey LaJoy knows that's a, a totally unfair comparison. No, no, I, I agree. Look, I mean, when back when his Twitter name was Super Shoe LaJoy, um, I mean, he really was. I mean, he was like supposed to be, he was coming right along with Logano, and he was supposed to be pretty much just as good as Logano, right? I mean, they were there was pretty high hopes for him. And I, like you said, that chances didn't pan out. But still, I mean, I don't know. This... I thought you were going to praise Cole Witt because Cole Witt had a pretty good run today for a while. I, I don't have in front of me where exactly he finished, but um, really, really respectable for most of the race, don't you think, Cole Witt? Yeah, I was going to bring that up too. And In fact, I started following that story uh, during final practice because I noticed that they were 15th on the board, and I said, look, I recognize that this is final practice, and that was just one lap that you see when you see them 15th on the board and they really weren't that high up on the the 10 lap average but that showed that the car was there and Martinsville is such a driver centric track that it really will allow 
the driver to compensate for maybe a lack of engineering to a degree. And look, this is this is Colwitt driving for TriStar Motorsports. We know what they are too, just like we talked about BK Racing. They're a team that's not going to go out there and contend. And Colwitt was out there racing Jimmy Johnson, which is crazy when you think about it, because this is the king of Martinsville, Jimmy Johnson, in recent years. And he's sitting there 15th or 20th at one point racing Cole Witt for position and that's not a knock on Jimmy that is a credit to Cole Witt and what they were able to do all weekend yeah he was actually on my uh, DraftKings team so that was one good pick that I made um, most of the rest of my DraftKings team uh, crashed all in one wreck <laughs> that late that late wreck that late wreck so so, Matt, uh, we have had some little bit of a bad news on our, our drive here. Um, we passed what would have been the turnoff to go the way to Charlotte that we need to go on. Um, and that was blocked off due to an accident. We were rerouted. And now I don't know where we are. So it appears as though I made you pass up the one sheets. We were going to stop at the other sheets afterwards. Um and so I don't know that we're going to get there. We're going to have to find something else. We're going to have to get on the GPS. But, Matt, before I do, I want to tell you about our first ever sponsored podcast advertiser. Did you know that I was going to be telling you about this? No, this is huge news. It is huge news because Samtech reached out. They like the podcast. They want to be part of the podcast. And they said I could do a podcast read and they'd help support the podcast. So I'm kind of excited about that. Can I tell you about them? Please do. So, okay, so Matt, Samtech is basically, it's the School of Automotive Machinists and Technology, right? And the reason they reached out is because a lot of Samtech graduates actually work in the garage. Um, they have a lot of them that work in uh, drag racing, but they also have a bunch that work in NASCAR. And more and more are, like, getting in really good race teams. At the same time, not a lot of people know that that's the case. So they wanted me to tell people that, you know, if you're interested in, in getting into a NASCAR career, this is something that you could do. Like, let's say you want to be an engine builder or something like that. Samtech would be a good start. They have a, a block program, head program, CNC programs. They also have a motorsport EFI tuning program. You can get an associate of applied science degree. It's a military-friendly school. They're, they can train veterans, you know, with the GI Bill and all that stuff. So if you know somebody who might be interested in Samtech, definitely check them out at samtech.edu. I wasn't super familiar with them, honestly, despite working in racing. So I feel like, you know, that might be something where other people would get some value from that information as well. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally agreed. I mean, this is kind of a, a good opportunity for them to maybe reach a, a new audience that they couldn't have reached otherwise. And it seems like it's something that's right up our alley with what we do in our industry for sure. Yeah. And like I said, um, their graduates work in performance race shops, part manufacturers, professional race teams, and, you know, some start their own engine building shops or parts manufacturing companies. So um, it's pretty cool. So I er encourage you to check that out again. It's samtech.edu. All right. So uh, we should probably um, get off my phone now, which is I'm using to record this, get on the GPS and find another Sheets, which was not part of the sponsored uh, podcast, but you love anyway, and you would probably endorse them if you if you could. I'm sure. 
I've got to apologize to you, Jeff, because I feel like I've I've been kind of a jerk to you tonight. You know, I, I'm kind of feisty. I'm, I'm fighting you on every single topic. And, you know, as Snickers will tell you, also not a plug, you're not you and you're hungry. I'm a little hangry right now, and I think it's made me just a little combative. But really, that makes for the best podcasting, especially when you talk about stepping in soda. Um, Matt, uh, should should we have a hashtag for people to talk about the podcast if they want to discuss it with other people on Twitter? What do you think? Hashtag for tonight? I'm I'm in, I'm game for a hashtag on every topic. So what okay. You well, let's think of a hashtag. How about uh, if you want to talk about this? Um, well, let's just go with stepping in soda. Hashtag stepping in soda. If you want to tweet about this podcast, you've made it to the end, and you want to see what other people are saying about it, uh, search for the hashtag stepping in soda. Is that okay? Oh, that is perfect. So if you are hearing this, it it means that um, Matt and I made it back to Charlotte successfully, where I was able to get to my apartment, edit the podcast for your listening pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Matt, from AutoWeek.com. Oh, I guess I should say that you're from AutoWeek.com, and you should probably go there to read your stories. Where else can people find you, Matt? Yeah, the best way is on Twitter, at MattWeaverAW, and uh, AutoWeek.com. Okay, sounds good. I'm Jeff Gluck. This is the Untitled Jeff Gluck Podcast, and I will talk to you later this week.